Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Good to see you. Um, Y'all come on over here. (laughs) I'm sorry, T. Yeah. Um, My trusty... My trusty sidekick, Andy, has some stuff that uh, she's going to give you. This morning we talked about Rehoboam. King Rehoboam is known for one single thing. Now, he reigned for 17 years, which means he did a lot of stuff. When you think about the fact that uh, our, our presidents, outside of Franklin Roosevelt, served four-year terms and a, a maximum of two four-year terms, provided they get reelected. That's eight years. Uh, Rehoboam served more than double that amount. So he, is that me? Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, so he served double that amount. And uh, you don't serve 17 years as the ruler of a kingdom, thank you, love, without uh, having done some things. But... Here we are 3,000 years after his reign, approximately 3,000 years after his reign, and we know very little about him, but there's one single thing that sticks out about him. What is it? He took bad advice. Uh, Now, not always. Uh, Not long after this, he took some good advice, but it was too little too late. Uh, A day late and a dollar short. And so he, his legacy is that in his first royal act, he took the wrong advice. He listened to uh, the wrong voices. Um, he was the son of Solomon. His mother was uh, Naama, who was uh, Ammonite, Ammonites. Uh, if Moses and Joshua had done what they were supposed to do, Uh, she would not have ever been born because uh, God had commanded that the Ammonites be wiped out. Uh, But they were not wiped out, and therefore, uh, when Solomon came along, Rehoboam's father, he decided to make peace with neighboring nations by marrying the daughters of uh, kings. And one of them was Naama, who was uh, a a royal descendant from uh, Ammon, and um, so Solomon and this wife, who was one of his 700 royal wives, give birth, gave birth to a son named Rehoboam, and Rehoboam would be king. He was age 41 when he came to the throne, reigned 17 very contentious years, uh, had basic uh, war of words with the northern kingdom for all of those 17 years while he reigned over the southern kingdom. And you remember the story. He comes to the throne as a united kingdom ruler, and the people from the northern ten tribes come to him and they said, you know, Rehoboam, your father Solomon taxed us heavily, heavily, and he, and he worked us heavily. And if you would simply lighten our load, we will serve you the whole time you reign. He said, come back in three days. He consults the elder statesmen and they said, you need to give them what they want. If you give them what they want, lighten their load, you'll have them eating out of the palm of your hands. They will adore you the entire time you reign. 
Then he goes to his peers, those he grew up with, his high school buddies. What do you think? And they said, man, you need to show your authority. You need to show them who's boss. Whatever your dad did, you need to make it worse. Let them know you're the main man. You're the king. And so he took the advice of his peers over against the advice of the elder statesman. And when he announced his ruling, uh, the people of the ten northernmost tribes seceded from the nation of Israel and left him ruling uh, just barely two tribes, really a tribe and a half, the full tribe of Judah and a little more than a half tribe of Benjamin in the southern kingdom. And that's where he was. That is his legacy. Uh, and we talked from that uh, story this morning about the fact that, that we have to be careful uh, whose advice we take. We have to, we have to uh, evaluate the advice that is given to us. Is it good advice? Is it not so good advice? And sometimes we can even have people who care about us, who love us, and who are people of faith, well-intended people, to bring us advice. I didn't mention this morning, but there are two, uh, two examples in Scripture that I can think of, of uh, people who gave advice and took advice. You remember in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, Moses has just led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They're into the wilderness of Paran. Now, if you know anything about the wilderness of Paran, it is right, if you went straight from Egypt straight up to the promised land, that's about where it was. And at that point, God told Moses to set up a committee, right? A team of spies. You remember that? One, one representative from every tribe. So it was a committee of 12. I want you to go up into the land, spy it out, check it out, come back. Most of them assumed that their assignment was to go up and see if they could take it and then come back and report. That was not what they were assigned to do. They were assigned to go up there and see the land that God had already given them. There was no question of whether or not they could take it. God had already given it to them. They go up there, they spend 40 days, they come back. Ten of the 12 guys said, we can't do this. We can't take it. The, guy, the people up there are giants. Compared to them in size, we're like grasshoppers before them. We can't do it. Two of the 12, and the only two whose names we can remember, what are they? Caleb and Joshua. Anybody remember any of the names of the other 10? Huh? Fred. Fred. Probably so. Probably so. So Caleb and Joshua say, we absolutely can. We need to go up at once. But they were out out to... Uh, Numbered 10 to 2, and the people heeded the advice of the 10 over the 2. And as a result, the children of Israel spent 40 years, one year for every day they went spying, 40 years in the wilderness until the entire generation of those families that said, no, we can't go, died in the desert. It was a tragic legacy for those people. Another case of people offering advice, and in this, in this instance, it was, it was a group of people who, who they were people of faith. They really cared about the person to whom they were giving advice, and the advice they absolutely thought was right, and the person to whom they were giving it at one time also agreed with their advice. I'm speaking of Job. Job uh, is afflicted by Satan. 
uh, as a result of a bargain that God makes with Satan. Uh, and as a result, Job loses all ten of his children, loses all of his flocks of animals. He uh, loses some of the buildings he owns. He, uh, his relationship with his wife deteriorates to some extent, and his health uh, it really deteriorates just shy of dying. And he's sitting with sores all over his body in an ash heap, taking broken pottery, scraping the scabs off of his sores for comfort when his three friends come along. And for seven days, they sit around him without saying anything. After the seventh day, Job says, I wish I'd never been born. And then they start talking. And for about uh, 36 chapters, they talk. And they argue with Job back and forth. And, the, and the, the summary statement of what they all said to Job was this. These kind of things happen to people who sin terribly. You must have sinned terribly. Therefore, our advice is you need to repent of whatever this sin is so that God can restore you to health and good fortune. Because it was believed that if you're godly, you will prosper in every way. And if you're sinful, you will, you will just the opposite. You will diminish and deteriorate in every single way. They were mistaken. But it was what they believed. And they were people of faith. And what they believed is what Job believed until he got struck with a crisis. Their advice was well-intended, but their advice was wrong. Rehoboam's friends, were they well-intended? Selfishly so, I think. Uh, But their advice was wrong. And so we talked about some of the traits of good advice this morning. I've given you just a series of questions there. Not that we will get through all of those, but I start out with the question that I ask everyone this morning, and I'd like for you just to pencil in your answer there. What is the best advice you've ever received and from whom? What is the best advice you've ever received and from whom? While you're thinking about that, I came across a a blog article by Dr. Tom Rayner. Dr. Tom Rayner is the president of Lifeway Christian Resources, which used to be the Baptist, uh, Southern Baptist Sunday School Board. And Dr. Rayner, as well as being uh, a, a great Baptist leader, he is a uh, studier, a student of uh, religious demographics and church growth trends. Uh, and he wrote an article <clears throat> in which uh, he relates... Uh, this article was in July of this year, he mentions something that he tried, an experiment he tried in uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. He used to be a pastor in St. Petersburg, Florida. He had uh, 12 deacons in the church where he was pastoring, and he went up to them and he asked them to tell him how many hours of time, at a minimum, they thought he should spend on certain pastoral tasks. And he, and he listed... Um, He listed 11 things. One was praying at the church. Two was sermon preparation. Three was outreach and evangelism. Fourth was counseling. Fifth was hospital and home visits. Uh, Next was administrative functions. Next was community involvement. Next was denominational involvement. Next was church meetings. And then next was worship services slash preaching. And then other, 
other, just anything. And he left some blanks for the guys. And he gave this to 12 deacons. He says, I need for you, I need, need your advice on how many minimum hours per week you think that I should spend on each of these things. And he got the results back and compiled them. They thought he should spend 14 hours praying at the church every week, 18 hours sermon preparation, 10 hours outreach and evangelism, 10 hours counseling, 15 hours home hospital visits, 18 hours administrative functions, 5 hours community involvement, 5 hours denominational involvement, 5 hours church meetings, 4 hours worship services preaching, and 10 hours other for a total of 114 hours per week. This is no joke. That's what he... That's what he was told by these guys at this church. Uh, He figured out that uh, just to meet, and those were the minimum. Keep in mind, he said, in order to reach those goals, I'd have to work 16 hours a day for seven days a week. Or I could take one day off work each week and work 19 hours a day for six days a week. And that's just to meet the minimum expectations of 12 people in his church. Now, if you, if you look at what they suggested to him as advice, not that it was, he, that's not what he called it, but if you looked at it that way, here you have some guys who are well-intended, they, they really meant well, and, and I, I'm sure they meant well for him and for their church, but they had advice that was absolutely wrong. Or let's just say it was slightly off, maybe a little more than slightly off, okay? We're talking about the characteristics of good advice. What is the best advice you've ever received? And right along with that, I hope you've been writing, thinking, is question number two. What did you do or what have you done with the advice you received from the person in question one? All right? All right? Can we have some volunteers? Andy's going to be my uh, microphone. She, she is Mikey. She's my Mikey person, and I appreciate her. Uh, let's have a raise of hands. Somebody give us the best advice you've ever received. Do you have one, Miss Doris? I do. All right, go back over there. Let's see what Miss Doris. What's the best advice you've ever received, Miss Doris Parkman? Can I stand up? Absolutely. You can do whatever you want to do. Uh, I'm going to give you uh, an example of somebody accepting the Lord. Okay. Me. It was in 1933. I lived out in the country, and I was attending a revival at our country church. My mother was way over there, and I was in the back. And they started giving the call for people to come and join and accept the Lord. And... uh, I, I was wanting to go, but I didn't quite have the, I didn't have the, I just didn't, I didn't have the spirit to go for some reason. But I saw my mother coming. She came and she didn't say a word, but she came and put her hand on my shoulder. And I went up, that was all I needed. I just went up and accepted the Lord. That was, I was 11 years old, and that's been the best advice that I've ever had. Absolutely. My mother was a dedicated Christian, and, and I knew what she was saying to me, even though she didn't say a word. Mm. But I've never regretted that. So the best advice was unspoken. Didn't even have to be spoken. All right. That's wonderful. Miss Sarah, you got one? All right. Andy? 
best advice I've ever received was to love unconditionally. And I got that from my dad. We called him daddy, by example. It wasn't so spoken. It was example for that. Yeah. He was not an overt Christian-speaking man, but his actions uh, carried that out. All right. Awesome. All right, Richard Munn, you got one? All the way over there, Miss Andy. There you go. That's all right. She has permission. (laughs) Mine is more work-related, career-related. But the first principle I had when I first started teaching in the 60s, I was the first teacher he hired when he became principal. And he said, I was an old social studies. I was a history teacher. So let me share this with you. He said, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. And I liked that so much, I put it on every syllabus that I handed out to the kids. Every, we were on the quarter system for 30 years. So every quarter, when they got a new syllabus, at, under the, three, the history, 200 or 306, whatever it was, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. And that goes, you know, not for just teachers, but for students as well. Yeah, it does. Roger Smith has one, I know. Do you, Roger? Thinking back, I, I went all the way back to when I just got out of high school and, and uh, me and a couple of my friends went down. We thought we'd be smart and go down and see what it was going to be like to volunteer for the Air Force. And when, when, we, when we went down and volunteered, unbeknownst to us, we signed the papers to, that we were going. And they said, you got one hour before you got a report down to Charlotte. So anyway, I went home and told my mom and dad bye. And Daddy said, well, the only good advice I can give you is when you get in there, don't volunteer for anything. (laughs) He was relating that back to when he was in the Navy and all, and that was good advice for the the years that I was in the the military. And he didn't mean that to, to, to be backwards. He was just saying, hey, be careful what you volunteer for, you know, because you get yourself a lot of extra work just volunteering. So that was one, and then one a little bit lower than that was, this was when I was still in high school, Uh, my older brother gave me some advice. He said, don't, he just got married, you know, a couple months, well, maybe a year before that, but he said, don't ever get married. (laughs) And I didn't heed his advice. And looking back on life, maybe I should have. All right, all right. How about you, Jill? You got one? I got one. All right. Well, I don't take a lot of advice. (laughs) (laughs) She's a giver. Yeah, I'm more of a giver, yeah. Um, On my syllabus, I always just wrote, I'm in charge. (laughs) But I came across this one. And it's a quote from Helen Keller, and it says, Resolve to be happy. Mm. So uh, you look at people who uh, maybe their circumstances aren't as good as what you have, but they seem to be happy, and you go, hmm, it must be, must be more of a mindset thing. So I think about that. Hmm. Good. Mr. Gould, you have one? 
Yes, I do. I don't remember who told it to me, but uh, they told me, and uh, this has been one of my life guiding principles. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence because there's more manure over there. Yeah, it's growing in the sewer for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, Jack, you got one? It's work related again, like Richard. I came out of college and knew I wanted to work for Delta Airlines, and I spent a year turning in applications. And my mama said, please, let me give it to somebody who knows somebody so you can get an interview. So number two was I followed that advice, gave her the application. She gave it to somebody who knew somebody. I got a call the next week, and I was working the next month. And it stayed there 34 years. Hmm. So sometimes it is who you know. Absolutely. A lot of times. Yeah. All right. How about you, D? D's got one. Come over here, Andy. Right here, Miss D Bowen, right with it. <laughs> well, there's always several. The one, you know, um, my parents always taught me to treat other people the way you want to be treated. And then my mother always said, be sure your sins will find you out. Mm. And my current one is always get a police report. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Mr. William, you got one. Uh, When me and Sarah went down to my parents' house in... uh, 1980 to tell him we were going to get married. He told us, he said, uh, that before him and mom got married, that they went and prayed about it, that God would send them a sign if they weren't supposed to get married. So I applied that, and uh, we've been married 34 years. 33 years. Still with the flat sign. When I started uh, preaching in 1981, um, I was talking with an older pastor, and the advice he gave me with regard to preaching and pastoring was, boy, if you can do anything else, do it. Renee Milner, do you got one? I've talked about this a few weeks ago, actually. Granny just always told us to always look for the good in everybody. Because if you can always find something good in them, then you can treat them differently, no matter how aggravating they may be. Good deal. Mm-hmm. All right. Jimmy, I've got another one from one of your favorite people, so i got to share this with you. When I decided that uh, well, farming wasn't what I needed to do, I went to see Jerry Watson, and at the time he was a manager at Eastern Airlines. He told me, he said, you don't want to work for Eastern, let me get Harriet to get you an application to Delta. So I did that, and that worked out. Really? Wow. Wow. He was looking after you, man. Yeah, yeah. Gero, you got one? We got to have you on a microphone now. Uh, the uh, founders of our company come up with uh, began a quality improvement process back 1985, 
And one of the statements, or the things that they try to teach their leaders is <coughs> people want to feel valued and they crave feedback. So make everybody feel that they're valuable to the company, you know, look for the good in them and everything and give them feedback, whether good, bad, or whatever, redirect them when they need redirecting. And uh, I, I found that that works good, especially when you take on new people into the organization. And if they mess up, and if you don't address it with them, then they're, not, they're gonna think it's okay to keep doing what they're doing. And you wanna let them know, hey, that's not what our company is built on. That's not the way we do things around here. And go with that. How about it, Miss Heather Hughes? Best advice you've ever received. Before I met before I met John, I was a young woman, and my mother heard Joan Rivers say this advice. Joan Rivers' mother had told her, "Don't marry the cute ones; marry the smart ones." And my mother had told me the same thing. My mother had married poorly twice. So when I was a young woman, I started looking, you know, at young men. Um, I knew I was intelligent, and intelligence was very important to me. And fortunately, I found someone who was intelligent and handsome and very kind. But intelligence was very important. Now let's hear from John Hughes. <laughs> One out of two ain't bad. Um, that was the advice? <laughs> See, I blanked out now. I embarrassed you. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, to dissuade any, any <clears throat> false notions anybody may have about me, uh, when I was younger and not a terribly good person, uh, somebody that I did not like cornered me one day and said, and this was at work, and said, look, if one person calls you a jerk, that's their opinion. If everybody calls you a jerk, you may need to reevaluate yourself. And he was absolutely right. And that grated on me and grated on me, but I couldn't deny the truth of it. So I think there's a lesson in there about self-evaluation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Anybody else? The best advice you've ever received? Anyone? My favorite preaching professor was a fellow by the name of Harold Bryson. And one day in seminary, we were talking about funerals. And he gave us preachers this advice. He says, when you're at a funeral, remember the three G's. Remember the good, comfort the grieved, and seek God. And I love that advice he gave us for that. Well, <clears throat> let's think about Rehoboam again. And here's the question I want you to look at. Question number four, what did he do right? We know what he did that was wrong. That is well documented and well remembered. What, in your opinion, did he do right? Or do you think that there wasn't anything that he did right? What did he do right, if anything, and why do you think that thing was the right thing to do? Think about that, okay? What was, what was something he did right? And why was it right?
Andy's writing for me. Go ahead, Jack. It's, it's buildable on what we said last week. Okay. He didn't try to do it by himself, or at least it didn't start by himself. He at least asked somebody else. Yeah, he did. He did at least ask. Yeah, which is, which is major. You're right, it's major. He, I mean, he could have, I mean, we think about him as being obnoxious, and perhaps he was, but he wasn't so obnoxious that he thought he didn't need any advice at all. He did seek advice. He just, in the first instance, did not take the right advice. In the second instance, he actually did. But not, we don't remember him for that second one. We remember him for the first. I want you to look at question number six. Think about an experience in your life when somebody gave you the wrong advice. That might be a little harder to think of. An instance where someone gave you the wrong advice. What was that advice and what was wrong about it? Think of an instance where someone gave you the wrong advice and what was wrong with it. All right? Man, I see some pins riding. I see some people praying. I see some people smiling. I see some people with wrinkled up eyebrows. That means they're thinking. Yes. Andy is writing. Wow. Okay. Think of an experience in your life where someone gave you the wrong advice and what was wrong about it. All right? Is anybody ready to say what that might be? Anybody here? Richard Munn. Shoot back there, Miss Andy. Richard Munn has an experience of when someone gave him wrong advice. What was it and why was it wrong? It was 1970, and it was like a Ponzi scheme, but we didn't know it at the time. All the coaches in Fulton County, they were getting into this Admiral Investment Corporation. It was going over the, uh, what do they call it, when stocks are available to the public. IPO, initial public offering. But it was not, it was not yet, and you had a chance to get in on the ground floor. Oh. And so... We had, Virginia and I had about $250. Now, I'd only been teaching two years. Had about $250 saved in the bank. And the least amount you could invest was 500 The shares were a quarter each. And they said when it goes public, you will make, you know, go up to a few dollars. So, and only the coaches in Fulton County were getting in this. And so I went to the credit union, and we could borrow up to $500. And I borrowed $250, just a signature loan. And bought 500 shares. Three years later, it was belly up. There was no good at all. But that taught me a valuable lesson. Anytime anybody came out and said, this is a can't-miss opportunity, thank you, not interested, and uh, beneficial. That was, that was a great experience. Yeah. But the advice, though, was buy this stock. It was like Jim Donnan in Georgia. It was, sort, it was almost like a Ponzi scheme. But, uh, and so many coaches, and some bought $2,000. Mm. That reminds me, I didn't even think about, about it until you mentioned this. Uh, in my first church, there was a couple uh, strong leaders in the church. The, the, the man was definitely one of the leaders among the men, and his wife was a big leader. She was also 
one who was uh, very, very, uh, and there's nothing wrong with this, she was very touchy-feely to the point where every little feeling she had was something the Lord was instructing her and everybody else to do. You with me? And so we got called over to their house, Amanda and I did, with uh, two other couples one night, and <clears throat> they, they had found some verse in the Bible that talked about, uh, that, that, that was claimed to be a prophecy of money that the Germans had somehow stolen from the Jewish people and had put in accounts, in Swiss accounts, and that uh, those monies, now they, the owners had died and gone, they didn't have owners for them, and you could actually tap into these funds, and there was some Bible verse that, predict, that predicted that Christians could... Uh, uh, gain financially from the uh, dividends of what happened in Nazi Germany. And they were, they said, no, the Lord has led us to this. It is bona fide. We have verified it with, with friends and we're investing money in it. And we'd like for y'all to, because we care about y'all and we want you to do this. Well, they'd invested $10,000 in it. They convinced another couple with us to, con- to uh, invest uh, $5,000 we invested nothing in it because I, I told Amanda, I was in banking at that time at First National Bank of Atlanta. And I, I looked at her and I said, I just, I just shook my head. I didn't even say anything. We, just, we listened to them, but I shook my head. And uh, things like that that are too good to be true are too good to be true. Yeah, they really are. Somebody else, a piece of advice you got that was wrong. Jack Woodall. I've been thinking about this all morning. And... It didn't happen to me, but the old TV commercial where Mikey's sitting there at the table and his brother doesn't want to eat the cereal and says, give it to Mikey, Mikey will like it. Try it, you'll like it. I've never believed in try it, you'll like it. Jill, you ever been given wrong advice? Well, like I said, I'm not much of a taker, but... um... When we were building our house in 1985, somebody, that, well, I guess the guy who was building our house, told us to put copper pipes in our house. Copper pipes. Copper pipes instead of PVC. And uh, Mike takes a lot of advice. So we put <laughs> the copper pipes in, and the water tasted awful, and those pipes leaked and leaked, and we'd patch them and patch them and patch them, and finally, we had to have them all redone. So, live and learn. So he gave you wrong advice. Anybody else wrong advice that you want to share? Did you write something down there, Andy, about wrong advice? It's kind of something that happens at my school. These kids, they say, have this phrase they made. It's called YOLO. You only live once. It's called YOLO. It means you only live once. And if you think about it, yeah, you do live once, but even if you try something just once, it can change your life. Hmm. And who told you that today? It wasn't this other day. I've been hearing it for a while but now. who told you that today? Oh, what about her? It was your brother. Hmm. Couldn't have been. Couldn't have been. Couldn't have been. Did he jump off the stage and bust his head? Isn't he? Wow. That'd be a crazy thing to do, wouldn't it? 
<laughs> yeah. All right, let's, uh, uh, and thank you all for, for joining in this discussion. I want to look down at the bottom. Question number nine has a whole bunch of, of uh, examples of advice. And the question is, would you classify the following statements as good advice, G-A, or bad advice, B-A? As we go through these, why don't you put G-A, good advice, or B-A, bad advice, right there in the blank. All advice is bad. Is that G-A or B-A? This too shall pass. B-A? Situational. Depends on the situation. Yeah. Let's skip don't eat the yellow snow. You're not as important as you think you are. You're not as important as you think you are. Is that G-A or B-A? G-A. Say yes at least twice as often as you say no. S, situational? Sometimes. Live in the solution, not the problem. Good. Always travel in a group. Yeah. Breathe deeply. Everything is as it should be. You were born perfect. You don't need to try so hard to be perfect. You already are. Just don't stop growing. G-A-B-A. What? (laughs) Being angry at someone only hurts you. Bad advice. Anybody put G? Okay. Just do it. Just do it. Choose your battles. G.A. People change. Learn how to practice forgiveness. You did a great job speaking at your parents' anniversary. You spoke from the heart. You need to do that when you teach Sunday school. You mean Bible study? Yeah. What do you think about that? Is that G-A or B-A? How long do they speak G-A? It's good, but it's also insulting. Good, but insulting. Then is it good at all then? Well, it's good advice to speak from your heart, but you're implying that the teacher in Sunday school will not speak from your heart. Is there a better way to say it? Would there have been a better way to say what they said? Maybe. I think if there was a better way to say it, I, I, I would classify it as B.A. <laughs> Though not your only concern, money should be your main concern when thinking about a career. G.A.? B.A. Follow your dreams. 
Hello? GA? I'm thinking of uh, C.S. Lewis' Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and they get to the island where dreams come true. Uh huh. It's all your dreams come true. Those horror story dreams come true. Hmm. Letter T, take the safe route for now and take risks later. Letter T, take the safe route for now and take the risks later. Ms. Doris Parkman says bad. You, everything happens for a reason. How many have ever heard this? How many have ever said it? All right, is it, is it GA or BA? They really are. <laughs> they are. They are. Absolutely. So does everything happen for a reason? Everything happen for a reason? Oh, I'm sensing y'all don't like that statement. Okay. You could probably do that, but you wouldn't be very good at it. B-A-G-A. B. Follow your heart. Huh? The Bible talks about the deceitful heart over and over again. Yes, it does. All right. Appreciate y'all very much. Let's stand. We'll pray. Our Father, we thank you for being in our discussion tonight. Help us to discern in our uh, respective situations in life the difference between good and bad advice and help us to...